What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 74 of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I am interviewing Nick Hill. Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. So you've got quite a uh, bit of things to talk about. I do. You're, yeah, like, I mean, you're, you're into fashion, um, health and fitness, entrepreneurship. Um, what, what I was going to say, body confidence and self-esteem, you said? Yes. Yes, all really great points that I'm very passionate about, and I'm so excited to talk to you today. Absolutely. Why don't we start by getting you to give us a little bit of your history, your, uh, you know, where you started, what you're doing now, and how you got there, and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. I started uh, originally going to school for psychology, and as we fast forward, I think that that training and that knowledge helps me have the conversations about body confidence and body positivity, and just improving the way that we feel about ourselves. After I graduated from uh, school with my degree in psychology, um, a bachelor's degree in psychology, I went back to school uh, to study fashion because I realized I didn't want to become a psychologist. And once I studied fashion, I graduated again. I moved to New York City and I started working in the fashion industry. I actually moved to New York with $300 and five suitcases, and I've been here for 11 years. Um, I'm pretty scrappy, so <laughs> I can, um, I'm resilient, and it, it's helped me a lot. And while working in fashion, I worked for designers, and I worked for really great brands, and I learned so much. It was almost, I always liken it to the equivalent of grad school without actually going to grad school. It was like grad school of fashion. And I learned a ton and I used all of that information to start my own business. And I did. And my first year in business, I won a small business administration award for uh, 2017 for the New York district for home-based business of the year. And I was really proud of that because I was awarded the award for my business sense and not because of my talent activity. So to me, it just solidified that I was on the right track and I was doing the right things. And a lot of times artists aren't really regarded as business people. But to me, that award kind of showed me that I actually am one of the few that might be able to, to straddle the fence. Um, and along that journey, shortly after that, I thought that it would be a really good idea to use fitness competitions as a way to market my swimwear. So I started prepping and training as a fitness competitor. And it kind of took me off track a little bit. I did that for about four years. Um, it was to a degree a good idea, but then in other ways it wasn't. But what it did teach me is just how important health and fitness is just to, you know, our lives and, and longevity. And uh, for me, it's more like an outlet, I would say now to reduce stress. And if I have like a long day and I just need to clear my head or to think, it's a really good way for me to reset and to recalibrate. And, and within that, I, I learned how detrimental the way that we speak to ourselves as men and women uh, it is to just kind of living a full rounded, healthy life mentally and physically. 
And um, I think all of my experiences have kind of brought me to where I am today. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> um, so what would you say was your biggest challenge throughout this? Um, professionally, the biggest challenge was definitely funding. It's expensive to have a clothing business. It's expensive to have any business. Uh, but with having a fashion business, a lot of it is upfront initial cost. So the fact that I'm 100% self-funded and just continue to find ways to create my, my clothes and then sell them is always um, a challenge every season. Um, I'd say personally, the biggest challenge has just been some of the sacrifices that many any business person has along the way, the balance between family and time, the balance of you know sacrificing today for tomorrow, uh, and, and all the common sacrifices that any business person has on a personal level. Right. So going into that, like, why don't you give us a little bit of a description of how uh, your typical day looks? It's every day is different. Uh, it really just depends on where I am in my process. Right now, I'm in development for a new collection for spring and summer. So my work right now is a lot of computer work because I've already done my portion of the design work. So um, what are we in November? So like yes. July, August, I was sketching and making patterns. Um, September, October, I was finishing my pattern making. The beginning, end of September, beginning of October, I would have sent my patterns to my sample team. I have a, a group of people that sew the samples for me. They're in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they work on the samples. And while they're working on the samples, I'm improving the SEO on my website. I'm fine tuning my website. I'm reaching out to stores to buy my product for spring and summer. I am beginning to reach out to my models to coordinate a photo shoot so that when those samples are ready, we can take pictures of them. I'm booking studio space. I'm beginning to organize creative, uh, getting the photographer um, prepared, getting you know me and my team prepared. I'm working on content uh, and engagement for social media. I'm getting you know my assistant to help me with. I also have a course uh, where I teach people how to um, do product development and production for themselves. So I'm I'm my, me me and my assistant are working on that while the the team is still sewing the samples. Uh, the samples will be ready probably in another week or two. Uh, so once those samples are ready, all of the work that I'm doing now will start to will start to to do. We'll start taking pictures and we'll start grading our patterns and we'll start prepping that work to hand off to the factory so the factory can begin to prepare to receive orders from the sales that I will have from wholesale. Right. So now I have kind of have two questions here. One is you're, obviously you, your team prepares the um, samples, like you said. How many people do you have on your team in total? Like what's the total size? It's just me and Hannah, my assistant, are the only people that work for my company. Everyone else is um, a vendor or a supplier of sort. It's just that I do business with them consistently and we we work as a team. But they are other small businesses in the United States 
that, you know, they do what they do. So my, my, the team that does my samples, they're a team of three people. Uh, the team that does the production is a larger factory out in Los Angeles. Uh, they have probably like, I'd say 75 to a hundred people, but I don't own any of those businesses. I just do business with them. Uh, and I do business with them regularly enough that the way we communicate has become more streamlined and more efficient. Um, they trust me and I trust them professionally. If, if we recognize that something isn't working quite right, I trust their professional opinion to help me come up with a better solution for it. Um, but it's just me and Hannah in terms of who works for Nick Hill clothing. Right. Okay. That makes sense. I get that. Now, the second question was going to be, so obviously you're getting your clothing into stores and stuff, right? We're like, starting that as of spring 2022. Spring 2022. Okay. So have, has most of your business been online then? Yes. Uh, most of the business has been online since the pandemic. Before the pandemic, I did a lot of pop-ups and trunk shows and face-to-face. -face. And obviously with 2020, I switched all of that to digital and now that we're starting to come out of that period, um, I've added the wholesale component and will continue to sell retail on my website. Right. That makes sense. Now, that's the other thing. I mean, I kind of got a gist of what the what, uh, 2020 pandemic did to you, but how did it really affect you? Like, if you can go into detail, like what, like, yeah, we get into this closure and what went through your mind? I was fortunate in that I had, um, there's a department store here called Macy's and I did a program with Macy's in the summer of 2019. And I was selling in Macy's in one Macy's location, um, the fall of 2019. And after that experience, I realized that I needed to do a rebrand. So for the rest of 2019, I had actually stopped everything and rebranded um, just the visuals, the name, everything about my business. Because I was rebranding, I didn't have any money on the line. I didn't have any orders that were waiting to be fulfilled. I was, I was at zero. So come 2020, January 2020, February, March, I was preparing to do trunk shows and I was a about to pay the deposit to do my first trade show right when um, everything happened. So I was fortunate enough that because I could see like things are starting to close and the world is starting to change, I did not you know, put my money down and, and invest in those things that I was planning on investing in. So while I didn't make money, I also didn't lose money. And for me, because I was rebranding and I was coming out of a period of, of just, you know, zero. Um, so for me, it, it didn't necessarily impact me in a financial way. Instead, uh, when we had so much extra time on our hands, what I did was pivoted to online. So I went from doing all those face-to-face -face things and I pivoted to online and really learned my customer in a digital component and really figured out how I can replicate the magic that was happening in person in a digital way. And so that was when I, I started to really get good at digital advertising and digital marketing. And then during that time, I also wrote 
my uh, courses for my program, Nick Hill Fashion University, and kind of just learn and educated myself and realized what I was missing and what I was lacking and just taught myself the things that I felt like I needed. Um, and I'm very fortunate in that regard because I know a lot of other entrepreneurs and friends of mine that that wasn't their experience. You know, obviously so many people lost money or went out of business because again, fashion works ahead. So we have to financially invest today if we're going to sell something in six months time. And because, you know, so many people were in that cycle, a lot of people lost a lot of money, but that rebranding actually saved me. Okay. I get that. Now, let me ask you something in terms of customer acquisition cost. um, I'm sure you know, those numbers, was it, has it gone up when you went digital or did it go down? I think it went up um, because as a small business, I'm the swimwear market is massive and there's so many swimwear manufacturers and, and brands that are out there and competing with them in a digital way is quite expensive. So I think when you factor time plus cost, it definitely went up. Whereas with the face-to-face sales, a lot of it is a bit more visceral. Like all I have to do is pay whatever the cost is for the the space that I'm going to be in. And the product almost sells itself once I'm in that space. And my sales, I found when I was doing face-to-face sales, were a lot higher than what they are in a digital way, particularly for my product category because with swimwear, I I make women's swimwear, what do they want to do? They want to try it on. So when you're selling it in a digital way, convincing the person even just to buy the swimsuit is a lot more difficult in a digital aspect compared to -to face-to-face. In a a face-to-face way, if they see it, they like it, the fitting rooms, you know, just behind you, and they can try it on right away. Um, Having that same connection in a digital space is a lot trickier. That makes sense. Now you said you rebranded and what was the main motivation to rebrand? I had a different name before the name was Najé by Nick Hill and Najé is French for to swim for anybody that doesn't know. I think that I didn't do a good job in educating people on what that meant. And I think that there was a bit of a disconnect with the meaning behind the brand and who the customer, my American customer was. I don't think that they fully understood that. And I think that because my background is not in marketing at the time, there were just things that I didn't know about marketing that I didn't do properly. And because it is a small team and and I do a lot of the things myself, I didn't execute the brand vision at that time as well as I could have. So I think just kind of taking a step back and making it a bit more simple and connecting the dots a bit better made it a little bit easier for the consumer. And hindsight's 2020, like looking back, it was a really good idea because what happened next was 2020. And now that I did that rebranding, it was a little bit easier to connect with the customer digitally in 2020 because I took the time to work out the things that weren't working in 2019. Right. Now, let me ask you, knowing what you know now, if you go back, would you have rather have done what you're doing now right from the get-go or do you see the experience as uh, a valuable uh, insight? 
That's a really good question. I, I take everything as a learning lesson. So I think that if I went, I'm glad that I went through it because if I didn't, I don't think that I would have learned the things about marketing that I know now. And I think that I would have run into those problems somewhere on the journey, probably later on when it would have been a lot more costly for me to have that lesson. So I'm glad that it happened kind of at the the startup phase rather than the growth phase. Um, because I think it just would have been a little bit more time consuming and costly to rebrand, change all your collateral, teach your customer a whole new message. Brands can do it and they can do it successfully, but I think that it takes a lot more um, to be able to do it properly once you're more of an established brand. So I'm glad it happened when it did. For sure. Absolutely. That makes total sense. And, and that's one of my beliefs as well. You are who you are today because of what happened yesterday. So true. So, so true. Can, it could always be, uh, you know, and there's two ways to look at it that you can look at it as in the victim side or the positive side. Always the positive. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. That's I it. always feel like if we're in these moments, we're in them for a reason. And I always look at it like, what am I supposed to learn in this moment that I don't already know? And I try to remove the emotion from it and remove myself from it and almost make it like an existential experience. Like I'm here to learn something. I just have to figure out what it is. For sure. Now going forward, obviously things change, people adapt and, you know, different markets pop up and opportunities pop up. Now you said in 2022, you plan to go retail. What, what exactly is your plan going forward? From I here? actually invested in a coach. So this is my first time having a coach and her specialty is wholesale. So for the last, I'd say four or five months, I've been getting a crash course in all things wholesale so that as I'm building out this component and channel of my business, I can be successful in it. Um, my goal with it is really just to do what I'm not able to do digitally and to kind of bring a bit more, um, I guess, social proof to the brand, you know, and, and to reach more consumers and to do that through a wholesale program where my products are in stores. Right. Now is your objective, obviously your objective is to get as big as you can, but starting out, are you starting off locally and building out? Are you all of the United States? Are you worldwide? How far is your reach? Right now I'm um, reaching out to stores in the United States and will, I, I believe in growing slowly, but surely so that you can work out any kinks that are happening in a, in a small um, pool, if you will, before I get too far ahead of myself and don't know what I don't know. And now I'm like this international brand that has all these problems because I didn't take the time to learn what I didn't know. So I'm starting small. That's locally here in New York, but also in other states as well. And just really working with stores that are, they probably have one store, maybe two stores themselves. Um, they're not massive retailers, but it'll give the consumer a chance to be able to find the product in more locations while also allowing me the chance to learn how to manage these accounts with these, the stores and how to manage these wholesale relationships with my buyers. Okay. Now, 
everyone, I mean, every company has positive and negative experiences, you know, with customers, we'll say. Um, what was what would you say was your best experience, your best compliment that you've gotten? Um, my best experience, women love the way my swimsuits fit. Like I've been in business for five years and I've had one return. So to me, that's my biggest compliment is just the quality of my product. And I make, I'm actually a fashion designer that makes really good quality clothes. And I'm really proud of that. Um, and whenever every time someone puts an article of my clothing on and they feel beautiful in it. I, I love that. I, I love that I'm able to make them see themselves in a way that maybe they didn't see themselves in a swimsuit item before, or in a, um, I also do resort wear. So when, when people put the clothes on and they feel beautiful and they, they love it and you can see like on their face that they actually are feeling that emotion that to me is the, the biggest compliment. Fantastic. Okay. So only one return, which is really good. That is, you know, congratulations on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so, you. And she, she, she actually bought two of them. She bought one in one size and one in another. Um, and she sent back the size that she didn't keep. So technically she still kept it. She just sent back the extra. <laughs> right. So in other words, I don't know if I'm a size one or size two. I'm going to order right. both and return the one that doesn't fit. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's kind of expected, especially if it's online. Exactly. Right. Cause sometimes people don't know, Hey, I've, I've ordered jackets, <laughs> different brands and I ordered jacket, one brand, one size doesn't fit. I ordered, I up my size on a different brand and it ends up being too big. Exactly. <laughs> so. And you do your best, you know, like we have a size chart and people email and, and ask, but uh, there's, there's no way around that in a digital sense. Like that's one of the benefits of being in a store. You can just try them both on right then and there and, and see which one fits. But when you're online, there's no, there's no way around that. For sure. Now growing up, obviously like, where am I, what am I trying to say here is like, like growing up, did you see yourself doing this? Like what was your, your dream and, and goals, you know, as a child growing up and how did it progress? Oh my gosh, that journey is really funny. Um, my parents always told me that I could be anything that I wanted to be. And I'm a very literal person sometimes. So when, you know, little, uh, my family calls me Nikki, little Nikki at five years old, um, I wanted to be a horse. So <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> they said I could be anything, right? Um, I thought that the way that we got things in the world was that people became those things. And if, you know, that's how we got a table, right? Like I didn't know where tables came from. Someone must've become a table. Um, and my mom told me, and I love horses. So she told me I couldn't be a horse for obvious reasons. And <laughs> yeah. um, I thought that that meant that all the horse jobs were taken. Like I knew that I should have done this sooner. Um, <laughs> so then I wanted to be an airplane and, uh, <laughs> and they paused that conversation. And then I think it went to, um, right around like middle school or high school, I think I wanted to be like a hairdresser or something. And then I wanted to be an attorney. And, uh, so by the end of high school, I thought I was going to be an attorney. When I got to college, I thought I might be a doctor. And, um, then I, I thought I was sitting in next to someone in class one day and she had this really thick book 
And I was like, what is that? And she's like, oh, this is my forensic science book. And I was like, I'm going to do that. So I went to the registrar's office and I changed my major to forensic science and psychology. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. You're like total polar opposite of yeah. what I was expecting. Like yeah. when you said you saw that big, thick book and you wanted to do it, I thought you said, oh, I saw that big, thick book. I was expecting you to say, you know, that was their medical book. And I was expecting you to say, okay, well, I'm not doing that one. No, <laughs> I have such an inquisitive mind. I'm very, very curious. And I, I ask why all the time, um, just because from a, a pure sense of curiosity, not to question people or to offend them, but I really want to know, you know, why did you do that? What, what's that thing? What does it do? And I love science. So that whole first four years of studying was forensic science and psychology. And I don't regret that either. While I, even though I didn't pursue that, um, that path, it was just so intriguing. And I loved, you know, my biology and my physics classes. And I, I love science. It was on my way to grad school that I realized that I didn't have the heart, maybe. Uh, it wasn't well suited for my personality because of the types of things that I would be exposed to in studying psychology or forensic psychology. It would be very dark and, and um, very sad sometimes. And that's the opposite of my personality. And I remember, you know, I, I realized this in an experience with a friend. I went to court with a friend to settle something. And um, I didn't go to court. I was supporting her. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> and in that day, I saw so many people talking about their problems. And they were very severe problems. And I realized that maybe this isn't the thing that I should do. So I went home and I was talking to my mom about this and I was about to start grad school in like a month and took for psychology and forensic science. And, and I was just freaking out. I'm like, I really don't think that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, this is so not me. And my mom, God bless her. She said, well, you've always loved fashion. Why don't you do something with that? Like she knew her child and she agreed that, you know, without saying it, she agreed that that probably wasn't a good fit. And it made so much sense when she said it. You know, my grandmother was a seamstress. My other grandmother was also a fashion designer. I learned how to sew when I was like eight years old. I've always loved clothes. Um, while I was doing those other things, clothes was always in the background. And it just made sense. So I applied to design school, got in, and uh, the rest is history. Um, right. And it just made sense for me. Okay. That, that, that actually makes total sense. So, I mean, fashion has been around you your whole life. It just, it took that event in school or in court to make you realize that, you know, maybe bringing it from the background to the forefront. Yeah. And it uses everything that I love. I, I love art and I love, you know, design, obviously, but there is a inquisitive nature with fashion because you have to figure out how to build the clothes, you know? So that's where like all of that question asking and that natural inquisitiveness, um, I get to use it all the time because I have to figure out how to put this puzzle together so that people can wear it. Right. See, another couple of things I picked up on. One is you were very fortunate to have parents that were uh, supportive. Yes. 
right? Because I mean, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the message people get or kids get today, you know, you want to go to school, get a good education so you can get a good job and sort of follow, follow the robot. Yeah. I mean, nobody says it that way, but that's essentially what it means. So true. Right. And, you know, you're sort of pivoting. And instead of getting the negative feedback, you're getting supportive. So messages. true. So that, that's 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 a great you know spot to be in. If Which, it weren't for my mom, I honestly would probably not be talking to you right now. And I'd be in that career miserable. I get that. I get that. See, another thing I picked up, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm a little bit like this too. Um, basically, your energy is the same energy of whatever you surround yourself with. So I'm, I picked up sort of that, that that's not a problem because of the career, but you're going to be surrounding yourself by negative energy, which you're going to be affected by. And in essence, become that too. Maybe. I don't know if I would, it, it could have, I don't know if I would have become that. I definitely, I definitely wouldn't have been happy or fulfilled um, because I'm very much a, a naturally happy person, right. naturally positive. It, yeah. If it didn't change me, it definitely would have taken an emotional and mental toll on me for sure. Yes. And that, that's what, what I mean by it. Cause I'm, I'm exactly that way. Constantly seeing it eventually, even though I'm not affected by it in the way that it's not my life, it's not my outcome. Right. It's one of those things that when you're surrounded by it, I tend to, I guess in a way it's a form of empathy. Yeah, we're human, right. you know, like it's how can you see someone in pain, struggling, having a problem with something and not, you know, feel for them, especially if I think it's easier to detach yourself when it's over there and you don't, you know, see this person on a regular basis. But if you're a psychologist or a psychiatrist and you're talking to criminals or you're talking to people with really severe problems regularly, how can you not become emotionally invested in this person's story when you see them three times a week for six months, you know, um, that becomes a lot more difficult to, to remove yourself from that. And I knew in that moment that I don't think that I could do that. I would become too involved. And because of that, that's like what you were saying. Um, I definitely think it would have had its toll on me or changed me in some sort of way. I think had I pursued that career, I think that I, it probably would have lasted for maybe 10 years. I don't see that it could have lasted much longer than that. Right. I get that too. Right. It, it, it goes back to the big saying that everybody has. You are the sum of the five people you're around. Right. And that's the reason. Because what happens if you're around negative people, you tend to be a negative person and that's what you're attracting. If you're a positive person, you end up being around positive people. Right. Right. So and true. it kind of goes hand in hand. Yeah. So true. And that, that's not to say that fashion is filled with a bunch of positive, happy people. Cause it's not, <laughs> no, no, but it's definitely, it, there's, you know, there's a, there's a spectrum there and it's definitely not what it would have been. Right. But there's also opportunities there. If you're a psychiatrist, as an example, you can't tell a person don't come into this office unless you're happy. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Happy people only. <laughs> but but in fashion, you could choose True. who to associate yourself with and who you just do business with and depart when you're done. True, especially when it's your own business. So I get to create the culture for my company and I get to create the tone for how I do business. And I am very clear on that with all of my business partners and 
you know, anyone who joins my team, um, how I work and the environment that we will have. Like, I don't, I don't believe in toxicity and I find we have problems and we we're human and we're going to address them. But I think the way that we address the problems is always more important than the fact that we have a problem. Like, I believe that two people can disagree and in their disagreement still have respect for each other and still treat each other appropriately, you know, without belittling the other person or um, screaming and yelling. Like I can't work like that. And uh, the fact that I get to dictate that now um, I really enjoy that because I've, I've, I've also seen the other side of it where two people are arguing over gray and they're yelling and screaming over gray, literally the color gray. Yeah, I believe it. You know what? That was that was a mic drop moment. Other than the fact that I'm not going to rip apart my mic to drop it, it's just virtual <laughs> mic drop. <laughs> because you know what? That is so true, right? Like that's something I've noticed with society today. Like we've had all these years of being divided. You know, we're like, how can I word it here without sounding really bad? But like, society for as a general rule has been very divided. Yeah. I mean, just look at the news and everything that's happened. We're all, we've all been working somehow to sort of become united in some way, some form. Now, there's some people that never will, no matter what you say or do, and to each their own, whatever. Yeah. But at least we, we started to find some common ground. Now we got this COVID, this closure, and then now some there's the vaccine people versus the non-vaccine people and, you know, all these conspiracies and stuff. And it's like, you know what? I believe in the right to have everyone's have their own opinion. Exactly. But instead, this has divided us where it's become, you know, vaccine versus non-vaccine. I mean, it's another divide. It's like, have we not learned lessons yet? Have you we not I'm learned lessons? And, you know, at the core, we're all human. That should be enough to unify us all together. My husband always says that because we have different experiences, we're going to have different opinions on things. And that's fine. Like, I'm not trying to change anyone's opinion. If they believe what they believe on whatever topic, that's their right to do so. I would just ask that when we're discussing those things, everyone be mature, use their, 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 their grown up words, and, you know, allow people to say their piece. I think that when we extend patience and grace to each other, and I try to find out where you're coming from, I'll understand why you feel the way that you feel. And then I can meet you on your terms and have a, a better conversation about that thing without making you feel alienated or disrespected or unheard. You know, I think a lot of times people feel unheard. So they dig their heels in and become set in their ways on that topic. When if we just, took a step back and tried to listen to what they're saying and why they're saying it, what's motivating them to say it. I think that it would bring about so much more understanding and so much more empathy for the human that's sitting across from you or us, me, anyone. Yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at, right? Because what you said before, right? It's all about if you can converse with somebody, you can disagree with them, but still respect each other. Absolutely. Right. And, and that, and that's the point. And that's what I think we lost. I think we, we've built this, this idea that people have to agree with your thoughts. And if they don't, they're bad. No, but that's not reality. 
it's not reality. And like, realistically, everyone is not always going to agree with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, what world is that anyway, where everyone's like, oh yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, some people like pizza, some people like hamburgers. And like, while I might disagree with the people who don't like pizza, it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm going to admonish them or belittle them because of their belief in not liking pizza. Like it just. Right. Wow. And, that, and don't forget some people like pizza and hamburgers, not necessarily at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and then I'm sure there's one or two that like them together. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And some people add ketchup, which I think is disgusting unless it's on the hamburger, but on the right. pizza, but exactly. hey, to each their own, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, like, and, and that's the thing, right? So I, I like how you said that now where I was going with this, because you were talking about culture and this is where I was going with this. Now, as your team grows, I am sure that there's going to be some people that are, there's always a Debbie Downer in every group. Yes. That's always trying to change that culture. Now I find as companies get bigger and bigger and bigger, at some point in time, they scale to the point that it's almost unmanageable, almost not quite, but you always have that toxic person that brings down the rest of them. So where I'm going with this is what happens when as you scale and you get bigger and you get that Debbie Downer in there, how would you handle that? You know, I've already started thinking about that now. And I was actually having the same exact conversation with my husband, literally like a few days ago. Um, right now, I think identifying where in the culture the people are being integrated is key. It's my opinion that a lot of times it's usually the intermediaries between the, the higher level people and the lower level people, like those middle management seem to me to be where the toxicity comes about. Um, I could be wrong, just in my corporate America experience, that's where I noticed it. Um, some of the ways that I'm working to build a more positive, less negative culture is to be clear on what my standards are as I'm hiring people and do regular check-ins, not just with the intermediaries, but also the, the people doing the work and listening. Um, I think listening goes a long way, asking for feedback, asking for um, ways that we can improve. And if the work that you're doing and the way you're being asked to do the work are respectful to who you are as a human. Um, I think if that lines of communication are kept open and people feel comfortable to come forward or anonymously speak about what their experiences are in the workplace, I think that it will help to keep the people doing the work happy. Um, because I really believe that the happier your team is, the better quality products you produce. So it's it's to my benefit to make sure that the people who are doing the work for me are, are happy while they're doing the work. I have a, a um, one of my vendors is behind schedule with something currently, and it's, it's putting me in a very precarious situation. Um, and we spoke about it yesterday and she emailed me today. And the first thing she said was, thank you so much for being so kind in such a difficult situation. And I think it's just really, we, so like we were saying a second ago, we don't have to be mean 
because we're in a bad situation. Like I can still have respect. I think team building also comes into play here. So as companies get larger, I think when they spend time to work on how to communicate within their organization and they do team building exercises, I think that it it can build trust so that when those difficult times inevitably arise, I feel comfortable to go to John and speak to John about the problem that we're having without feeling the need to yell at John. Right. That makes sense. I think it'll work. We'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, like you said, we're all human, right? Like I had an experience on the weekend myself where I'm, my reaction wasn't the best. Now at the it time happened. I thought I was right. But then when you leave and you start going saying, you know what? That really wasn't worth it. So no. we all have human moments, but again, it goes back to what you said, you know, it's trying to develop that culture. As long as it's not a, a daily routine or a common occurrence, we're all yeah, human. Sure. We're all human. I do it too. You know, um, when I go to the post office, sometimes they drive me crazy. And I, I find myself, I find that what works for me, if it's a situation that I know I could lose my temper in, if I think about what I'm going to say before I get into the situation, it helps me so much to be able to have something to pull from other than anger um, or other than impatience. I notice that when I get impatient, I start to get my feathers in a ruffle. But if I can anticipate that I'm going to have to wait or, or something's going to be delayed, then I find that I'm usually a bit more calm. Um, that works for me. Obviously, that's not going to work for everybody. But I think when we know who we are and we're honest with our reactions and situations, we can better prepare ourselves to handle the situations that we don't like. For sure. For sure. Absolutely. For sure. And that's just being a grown up, right? <laughs> that's true i think some people say i still need to grow up and i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so what would you tell aspiring entrepreneurs like some people just say you know they're growing up they're finding whether the school thing is working for them or not working for them you know a lot of people let's face it a lot of people go to school because they're told to go to school and there's nothing wrong with that yeah but sometimes people just take whatever they just take the first thing available just to get it done now they graduate, they're done. They don't know what they want to do. Uh, um, what would you say to that person? One of my nieces is in this situation right now. And what I say to her is just to be clear on what you want to do. What do you want your life to look like in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? What do you like to do? You know, make a list of, of things that you genuinely like to do and try to match that to something that you can earn money with. Um, so like in my niece's case, she likes people and she likes being outdoors and she wants to be very successful and she likes being social and she wants to work for herself. And I asked her if she ever thought about real estate. You know, I think that real estate would to some degree check all of those boxes, but because she is identifying what she likes and what she doesn't like even though she doesn't exactly know what she wants to do, she can start to think about careers that line align with the things that she's identified that she's liked to do. 
So I would definitely say get clear on, on what you like and what you don't like and start exposing yourself to experiences. Sometimes when we don't know what we don't want to do, it just comes from the fact that we haven't been exposed to much. So if you can, you know, mentor under somebody, watch videos of different careers that are available, maybe on YouTube, you find someone that's doing a really unique type of job, watch documentaries of people that do unique type of jobs. If you know someone that does something that you might be curious about, ask them if you can shadow them for a little while. Maybe you can audit a class at a university, which is completely different than going to the school. When you audit a class, you're not going to get credit for it. They just allow you to be in the classroom and hear what is being taught. And that could light a fire you know, within you to, that makes you say, I, I really like the idea of that. But just exposing yourself to things that you haven't yet learned, I think can do wonders. And then from there, just what do you like to do? And start to whittle down and narrow down the, the field, so to speak, and try to eliminate things that could otherwise be creating confusion with your, your path that you may want to do. Right. Totally. Um, very good answer there. Thanks. Now, I'm going to get into a little bit of a, a lightning round, sort of like a likes and you know, all that stuff, right? Like, so, because I want to be respectful of your time as well. So let's just have a little fun with it. Yes. So favorite movie. Ooh. So I have like three, but I think they're all different genres. So I, I think it counts, but um, Forrest Gump for sure. Um, Coming to America and Silence of the Lambs. Oh, wow. Oh, great and choices. Roman for and Roman Holiday. Okay. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah, you're right. They're all different, different reasons, different aspects there. Yeah. So, um, favorite, uh, book. Favorite book. Um, Their Eyes Were Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Never heard that one before. It's a good one. Interesting. Favorite uh, vacation? Favorite vacation was by far my honeymoon. My husband and I were fortunate enough to go on a honeymoon for like a month. And we went to Greece and then we went to Paris. And we had the time of our lives. Wow, that, that's great way to start. Yeah. <laughs> um, and finally, favorite podcast? Yours, of course. Oh, uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, two things. One is any final words to the uh, listeners or viewers? I would just say, you know, just have patience and grace with yourself. I find that the older that I get, the more patient I am with myself and the more forgiving I am when, of myself when I make mistakes, the, the happier I am. Um, you're not going to be perfect. You will make mistakes in this thing called life and your ability to just forgive yourself for them and recover quickly from them is going to take you far. Awesome. Last and most important, where do people find you online? Yes. Uh, my website is www.nickhill.com. That's N-I-C-H-Y-L.com. 
on Instagram, I'm at Nick Hill Clothing, N-I-C-H-Y-L. And if you're interested in my fashion program, it's Nick Hill Fashion University. Awesome. I want to thank you for being on the podcast. It's been a slice. And uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, John. Thank you, everyone. Bye.